0: Well, good morning. Welcome home. We are so glad that you are here and you are with us this morning. It's exciting to be back together after we um, weren't able to meet last week here because of the weather. And we are in a series called Miracles, They Really Do Happen. Can we say that together? Miracles, They Really Do Happen. And that's what this series is all about, is believing that God wants to do some miracles, and this morning I just wanted to celebrate that for the last seven days, because we're in day seven of this Pray 21. If you are new today, uh, we've been encouraging uh, those who feel led to to pray and to fast, and I want to encourage you with that to see God do some things. But we have had over a hundred prayer cards uh, come in, and for the last seven days, we've had people praying over those cards. And so we celebrate that and we're believing God's going to do some great things there. Uh, Today, I want to share with you a, a story from scripture. It's found in John chapter 5 verses 1 through 15 and that's where we're going to be parking today. We're going to be looking at this story of this Jesus who heals this lame man who's sitting beside the pool of Bethesda and kind of unpack, see where he's coming from and look at this miracle because all of us have things in our lives that we need God to do either for us or for someone else. And so I've asked Andy to come and just uh, open open the Bible and read this story and then we're going to unpack This story for just a couple of minutes John chapter 5 verses 1 through 15
1: Afterward Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches Crowds of sick people blind lame or paralyzed lay on the porches One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well. So stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him.
0: All right, thank you, Andy. I don't remember how many years ago it was. I think it was like maybe 10, 12 years ago, 10, 11, 12 years ago. Uh, My dad and I and my brother Chris kind of led a group of college students that went to, uh, to Colorado to go snow skiing. And we probably took, I think, about a van load load of us. And we went out for, I think, two days travel there and back. And so I think we were there about three days. And on the last day that we were there, uh, it was just, it was a great trip. Everybody kind of was the same ski level. So everybody, we just skied and skied hard for three days. And it was towards the end of the last day and we're getting ready to to be done. Everybody was kind of tired and just ready to kind of go home and, my brother Chris who you can't ever just get him to slow down he's like hey you want to go up one more run and it's like almost dark and it's starting to snow kind of hard and and I'm like not really and he goes come on dude let's do it and I said all right so we got to the top and by the time we rode the ski lift up to the top it had gone from snowing hard to like it was blinding snow sideways I'm not making this up just for effect I mean it was snowing hard And we got to the top, and finally, when we got off, it was going, it was so hard that I couldn't see from me to this front row here. It was literally almost a whiteout, and I kind of got panicked, and I didn't have a map. Chris was my map. He had the map with him, and I would just kind of follow him. And I said, Chris, man, he goes, Yeah, dude, this is bad. And I said, Well, listen, man, this is like getting close to, you know, them shutting this thing down. We need to get down quick, and it would take, you know, 10 or 15 minutes to ski to the bottom of this deal. And he said, Yeah, just stay with me. Here's what you do, man. He goes, if you he goes, as we start down this thing, if you don't see me, just make sure you go you turn you go left. I'm like, okay. So it wasn't too long that he was a faster skier than I was. I couldn't see him anymore. And all of a sudden I'm by myself and I see this tree line, and I remember him to telling telling me to go left. Well, what he meant was veer left, and I went hard left, and he ends up on the other side of the trees, and I end up on these black diamond moguls. And I was like this, I'm like a blue skier, which is moderate, okay? And I started getting sweaty and nervous because I don't have a map. I don't know how to get down. I can't ski these things. I'm screaming his name. He can't hear me. And so all of a sudden I realize this is going to be like a Dateline mystery show or something. And so I just literally, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of started crying for a second. There was nobody around. You wouldn't know... I don't have to tell you that, but I literally got like, kind of weir- weepy. Like I don't, I can't even, I can't ski down these things. So long story short, I fell down most of the moguls, tripping and falling over. I finally get to the bottom of those to where it junctions, and I'm looking at where the sign's supposed to be, and it's so, it's such a out that not only can I not see the sign, but there is no sign because it's been covered up in snow. And to make a really long story short, it was about. An hour by the time I got down to the bottom. And Chris probably got down to the bottom in about 20 minutes. And I'm so angry and upset at him that he left me. That, And we joke about this story now. But there was like these saloon doors on the lodge where everybody's at. And all these college students that I'm their pastor are inside here. My dad's inside there. Chris is inside there. And I'm so frustrated and so mad that he put that he left me, and that I was in this situation, and just thankful that I found my found, finally found the way to the bottom, that I kicked open those almost like saloon doors, and Chris goes, "Where you been?" <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, "You left me." And I threw my gloves on the ground and I started to walk to him, and I know he was thinking he's feeling froggy, and <laughs> and. Uh, and then all of a sudden I realized, like, I've got all these college kids here. I can't punch my brother right here in front of everybody. <laughs> and the Lord took back over, and I'm like, dude, what happened? And so anyway, it's just been kind of the story. I left out a lot of details uh, because of the time. But I was thinking about that because I remember feeling left and feeling alone and feeling like I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I think that's exactly where this guy is in this story that Andy just read. He's not been lost for 38 minutes like I was. He's feeling lost and been lost for 38 years. Have you ever felt like you've been carrying something for a long time or you've been lost trying to figure out what the plan is for you or what's next in your life or just wishing things would be better and it's like, there's no choice but to keep moving forward, but there's no end in sight. That's exactly what this guy's going through. This guy's been lame for 38 years. He's tried all kinds of different things, and he finds himself at this place, this pool of Bethesda, that the tradition and the legend says that the first one, when the water starts to bubble up, as Andy read, the first one in gets healed. Now, there's nothing divine about this that Scripture tells us, but they believed, a lot of these people believed that it was divine. It was kind of a false hope type of thing, and there was probably hundreds of lame, the Bible said blind and lame, and all these different kind of people that have made their way to this place trying to find healing for their life. Similar to the way that we try to find healing at the end of a bottle, or with a pill, or with... The computer, or with a one-night stand, or with uh, anger, or giving into depression. I mean, we we try to find answers to things, and when we can't find them, and it just leaves us in this place, and that's where this man is, along with all these other people. I try to say this as quickly as I can because it's a long story. But can you see that guy there? And there's some things that we can take away from that story that Andy read, we're going to look at look at this story in detail as we move through it, that are important for us to learn from. Because we're kind of like this lame man in the story that's that's been kind of stuck in some way, or we know someone. If we're not stuck, we know someone that's stuck, like in their thinking or in their actions, or in their sin. I was talking to a lady the other day who just dea- is dealing with an illness and they can't find the answers for it. They, they, she's, been going, she's gone to KU, she's gone to all these places, and every, no one has the answers. And it seems like as time goes on, the more she gets discouraged. And that's kind of what this guy gets and what we all get when something goes on for a long time. The longer that a problem persists, the easier it is to get discouraged. And I share that with you today because it's not just the the blind man or the in this story, the lame man. It's many of us, some of us in here today, you're in a situation where you just don't know how you're going to get through this. You don't see a miracle happening or you believed in the ideal or you. You kind of just stopped believing something was going to change because it's been so long. And we get discouraged, don't we? Now that's not the answer to this. And that's not a solution today. But let's just call things what they are. It's really hard for me to connect with you. Or for us to connect with this guy. If we can't have some empathy at some level. And I share with you today. That the longer that this 38 years went on. The longer this story took place. Year 1, year 2, year 3, year 4. All the way up to 38. At some point. We just continually get more discouraged. And some of us today, it's not that you've given up. But you just, it's discouraging dealing with whatever it is. I know at least somebody identifies with that. And what happens after a while is we almost become like institutionalized. The same one who's been in jail for year after year. We get so used to our marriage not working or being in debt up to our eyeballs or this relationship not being healthy or dealing with this physical issue. We get so used to dealing with it that we become so familiar with it that we don't even realize that it's as big an obstacle as it is. It's almost like... The biggest obstacle to having faith and believing is familiar. Let's read that. The biggest obstacle can be the familiar. I was talking to a lady several years ago who husband her, her husband just beat the tar out of her. And her dad used to beat the tar out of her, and other guys that she dated did. I mean, she was just always dealing with physical abuse, and she'd ask the Lord into her heart. But even though she was had been saved, the familiar was so in her mind and in her heart that she didn't know how to deal with that. I, and what alerted me to that is, I asked her, I said, "If you had a guy in your life that wasn't trying to get something from you," That just cared about you. That you married and, and treated you with respect and, and, and took ownership of some of the things around the house. And, and when things got tense, he was the person that, you know, calmed the situation down. And I just went through and I described a bunch of different scenarios. And she at first kind of like had this dreamy look in her eye. And then she started to almost get frustrated and angry. And she said, I'll tell you what would happen if I met somebody like that. I'd run them off. She goes, not on purpose, but she said I would because I don't even know what to do with that. Like, I don't even know what that looks like. See, my biggest obstacle, Pastor Kyle, to having faith that things can be different is everything that I've known my whole life tells me that that's not really possible. And you all know somebody like that. And if you don't, you're not paying attention Because they're everywhere, aren't they? Some of them are sitting in here. We almost, even when we're so familiar with something, when something's wrong, like almost like an abused child or abused wife, we start to make excuses for that person. You see, the longer that a problem persists the more excuses that we tend to make. We see that happening in this story. Jesus asked the most important question that's really what this whole thing is about today. You're going to hear me ask it more than once. Jesus asked this man who's been sick for 38 years, do you want to get well? Now at this point, we know that Jesus really hasn't revealed himself enough to people that they know who he is it's early on in his ministry so people aren't recognizing recognizing him the way that they will more later but even if it's just a stranger off the street you would think that he's been sick so long that he would say yeah I want to get well but his his thinking has become institutionalized and when Jesus says do you want to get well Have you ever seen someone go back to somebody who beats them? And you're like, why? Have you ever seen someone want to go back to leave their foster home and go back to what they know, even though you know it's not healthy? And rather than saying, yeah, he says, I can't you got to leave him. I can't. you got to quit drinking. I can't. And the reason I can't get in the water is because I don't have anybody to carry me down to the water. I lost sight of the ideal a long time ago. I'm talking about what's real, not ideal. And what's real is I can't get down to that water first. I've always believed that God helps those who help themselves. But we don't see that in this story. It's really hard to pass judgment on someone when you've never been there. If you've never been addicted to alcohol before, you don't know. You can know what's right and what's wrong and what's healthy and what's unhealthy, but you don't know. If you've never had someone physically abuse you over and over and over you have no right to understand or even to judge why they would feel the way that they do. I share that with you because I'm sitting here thinking if I'm if I'm there I would find a way to get to the water. If I don't know how to do it I'll find someone that can help me get there. I just start asking around every day, "Hey, listen. Can somebody, one of you guys, can somebody get me down to the water?" I don't care how annoying you think I am. I want healed. Hey, you over there. Maybe he tried that in the beginning. And the longer, it doesn't mean it's right or it's wrong, but the longer that we're in a situation, the more that we make excuses and the more that we tend to compensate. Someone always gets there first. You don't think that I want to get better? You don't think I want God to heal me? Look at the other two or three or four hundred people that are sitting here with me. How am I supposed to get down there? Jesus picks out this guy who's the who's been there the longest. Probably really nobody's been there longer than him. No one's been... S- No one's been like this for as long as he's been like this. So in a sense, Jesus picks the hardest case. Now, I'm not God. But I can tell you, if I was going to pick someone to heal and I could pick anybody, they don't even recognize me yet. I could go around incognito. Later on, they're going to start recognizing who he is. But early on in, in his ministry, people hadn't recognized who he is. If I was going to pick somebody that I was going to you know, give a house to, or give a car to, or, or I was going to heal, it would at least be someone with a positive attitude that wanted help. Instead of someone who's compensating for the problems, and making excuses for their problems, and being discouraged. That's what I would do. Probably what you would do. That's not what Jesus does. That's how big grace is. This gospel is not just for those who help themselves. The gospel is not just for those who have 2.5 kids and have a job. The gospel is not just for those who are rich or middle class. The gospel is not just for those who won't ask us to do something we don't want to do. The gospel is for the one who's been stuck the longest. The gospel is for the one who makes excuses. The gospel is for for the one who's basically out of hope. The ones that I and the rest of us would say, they don't even want to get well. Jesus asks, Would you like to get well? Now, even though this man doesn't say, Yes, I would like to get well, evidently something about his nonverbal communication is telling Jesus that he does want to get well. For example, my wife said, You don't have to get me anything for Valentine's Day, (laughs) that is a trap. You know good and well you want something for Valentine's Day, so lose the false humility. We do realize, though, that you can't help someone who needs help. You can only help someone who wants help. And his words aren't saying that he believes things can be different. But for some reason Jesus picks this guy out, and even though his, he's not saying it, he he reads his heart and he knows that he really does want help. But I remember there was times in my life where I knew, spiritually speaking, and everybody's got a different story. I grew up around church, but I just didn't I just didn't always do and believe in everything that everybody else did. I I might have looked like it. But I, I wasn't really living the way I was supposed to. And I knew that I needed help. But I just didn't want it. And it was only when I wanted it. The miracle started to happen. You see, until your desire is bigger than your disability, you will not start to find healing. Think about that. Until your desire is bigger than your disability, I think what we do sometimes in church circles... I grew up in a church, not this church, but another church, a smaller church, that claimed that if you really love God, you won't have any disabilities or you won't struggle with any disabilities or those disabilities are all in your head. And we don't acknowledge that people have disabilities. I mean, in this story, it's a physical disability, but I'm I'm not just talking... F- You know, literally, I mean more figuratively. And we act like they're not real. And the truth is, let me tell you, somebody who's struggling with depression or anxiety or dealing with with an addiction or struggling in some way, I just want to acknowledge to you, good or bad, our feelings are our feelings. We feel the way that we feel. I'm not trying to sound like Dr. Feel, I'm just telling you. Dr. Phil, not Dr. Feel. (laughs) That sounded weird. But it's not saying there's not a disability. It's saying that my desire to get better, my desire to see God do something in my life, can be bigger than my poor thinking. Or my situation. That's an amen part. And Jesus knows this. And he says to this man in the story, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Read it with me. Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And even if life has you sitting down right now and you've done everything that you know to do and you aren't standing and it's not because you lack faith, but for whatever reason, God doesn't have you standing. You can still be standing in your heart and in your mind. Not in rebellion, but in saying, God, I'm trusting you no matter what. Essentially, what he's saying here, especially about this guy's mindset is, I don't want to hear any more of your excuses. I want to see your faith. I don't want to hear why you can't. I want to hear why I can. Why God can. So stand up and take up your mat and walk what's also interesting about this story is even though this man was discouraged I don't know if he had ever thought about actually getting down to the water to be healed but I imagine that the way that he pictured being healed wasn't the way that he was healed you see the healing didn't happen in the way that he thought that it would And sometimes we reject the way God, the method that God wants to use to bring some healing and some closure and some growth to our situation because we don't like the way that it happened. And God says, you're missing the miracle because you're focused on the misery. You're missing the miracle because you're looking over there. See, you are looking for a body of water, right, in this story to bring healing. That's where your eyes are instead of looking at the living water, which is Jesus Christ. You're looking for a body of water to heal you when the living water is standing right in front of you. That's good. You're looking for a body of water to heal you. And the living water is standing right in front of you. You're looking for anxiety medicine to fix you. You're looking for your Depression to go away. That's the body of water. You're looking for someone else to say they're sorry to you because they never have. That's the body of water. You're looking for them to acknowledge what they did. What if that never happens? There's a whole lot of scenarios I can paint over here. And Jesus says, turn your eyes over here. Because I'm the miracle. We prayed hard for Deidre to be healed. It's a lady in our church who had leukemia. I won't speak for anybody else, but for me, he didn't heal her the way I wanted him to. We had a lady named Esther in our church several years back who had cancer. There was another man named Steve who had cancer. Seems like God instantaneously healed Steve, and Esther is with the Lord today. That's not what I prayed. You know how many times I've prayed for God to heal my hip? I've got a hip problem, and that's not happened. And our eyes get over on this body of water. God didn't genie in the bottle it the way that I wanted him to. God didn't answer my prayer the way that I wanted him to. I was expecting the pool. And God says, don't be looking at the body of water. Look at the living water. Do you trust me? Even if I do, even if I don't. That's the miracle. Do you trust me? So you're saying God causes bad things. Nope. But heaven is heaven for a reason. And this is not heaven. And good things happen, and bad things happen, and I don't know why. But I know the miracle is not found here, the miracle is found in Jesus Christ. He's talking in another story with this woman and he says, those who drink the water I give, you don't have to go back to the well and get another drink because there's a spring inside of you that bubbles up. Sir, you're waiting for this bubble up to happen in this pond and hope that you're the first one in. I can give you something that no matter what's going on in your life, it's bubbling up inside of you. And even if they're healed, even if they're not, even if you're debt free, even if you're not, even if you're good looking, even if you're not, even if you're skinny, even if you're not, even if you're diabetic, even if you're not, even if you're struggling with all kinds of different issues, even if you're not, I'm the living water. Do you trust me? That's the miracle. This story that Andy read earlier, there's a little bit more to it. Did you know sometimes that when God does something in your life, people don't give a flying rip? I realized this. You know, Noah was our firstborn. I still remember this happened several years ago, and Whitney stayed home with Noah and you know till he went to kindergarten and we were those helicopter parents we still are sometimes, good or bad, and we you know he was just our whole world, and we took him to Lakeside Park one day, and he's up on top of this slide, and he's getting ready to go down, and there's a couple of kids behind him, and he says, "Hi, my name's Noah, and one of them said so." And literally, I mean, I'd have got it right on a test, but I'm like, what? (laughs) And just because something's happened to you or is happening to you doesn't mean other people appreciate it. This man has been... He's like Norm on cheers. He's been around this pool lame for a long time. And everybody sees him lame. And all of a sudden, he can walk. And the Jewish leaders are forgetting that this man can walk and they're focused on the mat on the fatter or on the matter on the fatter on the matter <laughs> that you are carrying your mat that weighs more than what you're supposed to carry on Sunday so we object you can't work on the sabbath i've seen you here lame I'm just going to ignore the fact that you are healed. It's like on Christmas vacation. You remember where the father-in-law is standing outside saying the lights aren't twinkling after he did all this work. They missed the miracle. Because they were focused on the wrong things. And let me just say for those of us who have been in church a long time. We sometimes miss what God's doing in someone's life because it doesn't have our definition of what growing in Christ looks like. Sometimes the miracles miss because we miss it all together. I've shared this story before, but Noah was four for five in one game. And I told him what he did wrong the time he didn't get a hit. And Whitney says, he got four hits. And you're focused on the one he didn't get. Heaven help us. When we miss the progress that's happening in our husband's life. Or our wife's life. Or a friend's life. Because it doesn't measure up to our standard. Don't miss the miracle because you miss the man. The son of man. We see this last thing. When he tells him you're healed," he tells him to pit, or he tells him to stand up, I can deal with that." And he tells him to walk, I can deal with that. But he tells him to take his mat with him. You know, we're in this fast thing here at the church. And so one of my things was to eat lean meats and vegetables and kind of a Daniel fast slash just what I felt like doing. And I got sick this last Well, I felt like I was supposed to do. I got sick this last week. And you know how when you eat something and you get sick, like you don't want it anymore at all? I don't want lettuce around me. I can't even look at it. And if I had spent 38 years, that mat would, would, give, would be a reminder to me of something I don't even want to think about. But you know, oftentimes the miracle include, usually includes keeping your mat, not throwing it away, because that mat's a testimony to other people. Don't resent everything that happened to you. Part of the miracle is what Satan intended for evil, God could use for good. And what you thought your story had no meaning for, God may use that very thing to encourage and help other people. Don't resent what happened to you. If, the, if life's given you lemons, then let God make lemonade in your life. Stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. So as we end here today, the same question that Jesus asked the man. God asks us. Let's read it. Would you like... And what occurred to me about that question is that we can't change, God? excuse me, God cannot change what we are willing to tolerate. People who use meth, the rate that they'll go back to it is 95%. And the reason why is they're not willing to change their friends. They're not willing to change towns. They're not willing to do whatever it might take. I mean, every person's situation and addiction or whatever they're dealing with is different. But many times, the reason that they they don't really, aren't able to fully get past their struggle is because... They're not willing to change anything different. They want something different, but they're not willing to change anything different. They want something different, but they're not willing to change anything different. They want to lose weight, right? They don't want to do anything to lose weight. They want more money, but they don't want to do what that would take. And I've sat in my truck, and I've sat in my office, and I've sat on a park bench, and I've sat on... An altar at teen camp and I've set it different places and I've looked a part of somebody and I said, Do you want to change? Because if you want to change, some things are gonna to have to change. Do you want to be out of debt? Needing to be out of debt and wanting to be out of debt are not the same thing. Needing to lose weight. That's me. And wanting to lose weight are not the same thing. So when Jesus says, not only to the blind man, but to all of us today, would you like to get well? May we be reminded that needing to get well and wanting to get well are two different things. Because God cannot change what you are willing to tolerate. I got to a point in my life, I can't speak for anybody else, I can just tell you mine, where I had some sin in my life that I was done tolerating. You know, people say they, they need to hit rock bottom and this alcoholism or they need to hit rock bottom in some place i think it's true i got to the point where i was done tolerating it i was done just accepting that this is the way it is and i decided you remember that old song i know i'm going long this morning but that's all right i have decided to follow jesus it's a choice i decided i'm done Would you like to get well? It probably means you saying, I'm done. As we stand together this morning, I don't think that this message today is for everybody, but I do believe it's for somebody. I don't think this message is for everybody, but I do believe it's for somebody. Maybe it's your thinking that needs to change. Maybe it's making excuses that needs to change. Maybe it's compensating that needs to change. Maybe it's stop looking at the pool and start looking at Jesus. What is it that needs to change? And during this time where we sing and we worship, what would it look like for you to tell God, I'm yours. I give it all to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God of miracles. Work in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. But may you hear God say to you, stand up. In the middle of the trial, in the middle of whatever you're praying for, that doesn't seem like God's answering, stand up. In the middle of your depression and your anxiety, stand up. In the middle of feeling like no one understands what's going on in your life, stand up. In the middle of everybody telling you you have every reason and every right to sit down and lay down, stand up. And if God has helped you to stand up, then stop presenting that you had to pick up your mat and start using your story to make a difference in someone else's life. You may never know how God may use your story, your miracle to do a miracle in in, in someone else's life. And don't let Satan tell you not to walk. Stand up, pick up, and walk. And And if the world's having you crawl, then you walk on the inside. That's the message of Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you today for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that we can live out our faith. Father, there are people around us that they need to see us standing when life feels like sitting. There's people around us, Lord, that need to see us share our story, not even just with words, but with our actions. There's people around us that need to see us walk when everybody else is saying, I object. It's the Sabbath day. God, may we live to please you and for you and no one else. Father, do a miracle in all of our hearts today. We thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have a miracle Sunday.